0: Me
1: nervous, too. Don't, don't do that to me. Hey, everybody remember two bars of drums, two bars of drums before we're ready. It's good to be together. It's good to lift our voices. We're trading our sorrows. We're grateful to be together and tell the Lord that he's worthy of our praise. Let's sing together this evening.
2: I'm trading my sorrows. I'm trading my shame. And I'm laying them down for the joy of the Lord. I'm trading my sickness. And I'm trading my pain, I'm laying them down for the joy of the Lord. Yes, Lord, sing it. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord, 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 amen. Amen. I'm pressed. I am pressed, but not crushed, persecuted, not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. I am blessed beyond the curse, for His promise will endure that His joy is going to be my strength. Though the sorrow may last for the night, His joy comes with the morning. Yes, I am trading my sorrows i'm trading my shame i'm laying them down for the joy of the lord and i'm trading my sickness i'm trading my pain i'm laying them down for the joy of the lord yes lord sing it out yes lord yes lord yes Yes Lord, yes Lord, yes Lord, yes, Lord. Yes, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. yes Lord. Yes Lord, yes Lord, yes, yes Lord, amen. I'm trading my sorrows and I'm trading my shame. I'm laying them down for the joy of the Lord. Yes. Yeah. Trading my sickness and i'm trading my pain i'm laying them down for the joy of the lord for the joy for the joy of the lord
1: once more for the joy of the lord amen the joy of the lord is our strength that's what the word of God says in his presence his fullness of joy we are in his presence we know we are for we're two or more gathered in this place amen it's good to be together and it's good to be singing his praise the scripture we're focused on tonight is one of my absolute favorites It encourages me all the time proverbs 3 that we trust in the Lord with all that we have it's sweet to trust in Jesus let's sing it together Tis so
2: sweet to trust in Jesus Just to take him at his word Just to rest upon his promise Just to know the saith the Lord Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him How i proved him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus Oh, for grace to trust Him more Yes, it's sweet. Sing it out. Yes, it's sweet to trust in Jesus Just from sin and self to cease just from jesus simply taking life and rest and joy and peace jesus jesus how i trust him how i proved him more and more jesus jesus precious jesus oh for grace To trust him more. Amen. I'm so glad I learned to trust you, Lord. I'm so glad I learned to trust you, precious Jesus, Savior Friend, and I know that you are with me will be with me to the end. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him, How I proved him more and more. Jesus Jesus, Precious Jesus, Oh for grace, to trust him more. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him, how I've proved Him more and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh for grace to
1: trust Him more. Let's pray together tonight. Father God, we do desire to trust you more and more. As we look back in our life, we know that we have relied on you for so much. You have done so much for us, God. Offered us salvation and redemption. Paid the full cost of our sin. That we don't have to bear that burden anymore. Lord, we know that you are a good Father. We know you're a, a powerful maker. And Lord, we trust you tonight with our whole hearts. Help us, God, to trust you even more. Point out those places, Lord, in our hearts and our lives where we're holding on to things because maybe we think we can figure them out. But your word says not to lean on our own understanding. So Lord, just help us tonight to leave this place unburdened by those things. Speak to our hearts, Lord. We love you and we trust you. In Jesus' name. Sing it with assurance tonight. He knows your name. He sees right where you are. He knows everything you're walking through, the good, the bad. Sing it with us. He knows
2: my name. He knows my every thought. He sees. falls and hears me when I call, yes
1: he does, amen, you could be seated.
0: If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Proverbs chapter 3. The title of tonight's message is, Who Do You Trust? Who do you trust? I wonder how many of us have uh, ever been to a summer camp where they asked you to participate in what they called the trust fall exercise. Can I get a, just a quick show of hands of any of you hapless suckers who participated in that? Right? You know what it is, right? You stand up on a ladder or you stand up on a table, you cross your arms. You've got a line of people who you're supposed to put your life in their hands. They hold their hands out like this. You fall and all of that kind of stuff. Um, I don't know if it's just because life is short and difficult or if it's because misery loves company, but I love watching fail videos online. You know? I don't know. It just does something to me to see someone get totally wrecked doing something like, I mean, I just giggle with the light, you know. And uh, lately, I've just seen so many of these trust fall exercises that have gone horribly wrong. People were doing all of the right things, but maybe they were too far apart, and the person just fell right through their arms, or you know, they weren't ready for them. And I don't know, it's just something about that. And every time I see one of those, my immediate thought generally revolves around those people need to go back and erase all the contacts in their phone and get new friends, you know, I mean, because you just got dropped. The writer of Proverbs certainly understood that trust was going to be an issue in all of our lives. And so early on in this book, he lays out how trust works with the Lord. So you have Proverbs 3, and we'll be reading that now. We want to take our time tonight to study who we really trust And I hope that we'll see several things we shouldn't be trusting in and then several reasons why God is trustworthy for us. Let's read this together. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Trust has to be placed in the right person or thing for it to be validated as being trustworthy, right? It, it takes this kind of experience that we've all had where we've placed our trust, maybe misplaced trust, in something that wasn't trustworthy, maybe a process or something we thought we could absolutely trust, or even a person that we were hoping we could trust and it turned out we couldn't trust them at all. For the believer, I think trust is easy at the initial stage of our relationship with the Lord. But what's funny is that when you talk to believers, it's really after that. You know, you don't find a lot of believers who are just really struggling, you know, in, in that time period where they were trying to trust the Lord for salvation, right? It's, it's so fascinating. We can trust God with our eternity and believe that he will save our souls from eternal damnation, and yet we have a hard time trusting him the next day when he says, be baptized. Well, I don't want to be baptized in front of anybody. Wait, you just trusted God for salvation? Well, I know, but I can't get wet in front of everybody. All right, but right. Or God says, you know, I have something to say about this in your life, and it's like, oh, no, wait just a minute. <laughs> right? I mean, it's hard for us, right? We understand that we need to trust the Lord, but putting that into practice becomes something entirely different when we have to trust him for the simplest things, like where we should serve him or whom we should marry or those kinds of things. I've literally watched people agonize over going on a mission trip Because God was dealing with them about going, and they didn't want to obey, right? I mean, it's that kind of thing. Again, I trust the Lord for the biggest thing of my life, but it's so hard to trust him. And you've all experienced exactly what I'm talking about, I'm sure. And the thing of it is, when you recognize it in my life, it's ridiculous. But in your life, it's the biggest thing in the world. And I'm the same way, right? In your life, it's like, trust God, get over it, right? I mean, this is no big deal, but when I'm facing something, it's huge, right? I mean, and that's how it is when it comes to trust. We have to trust the Lord in every facet of our life. But this trust has to be in the right person, and there's only one person worthy of our trust, and that's the Lord. Because we all know that we can't put our trust in people. Our trust can't be placed in people because they ultimately will fail us. Even the best-intentioned person can't always deliver on every promise that they want to make or that they intend to make. And those are people who are doing their very best. That doesn't account for the things that are outside of their control that might not cause them to be faithful towards us. Even worse is when a person is sinister towards us, right? When they go behind our back or stab us in the back or they use the relationship that they have with us to further their own agenda. When we experience something like that, it it just feels like we've been cut off at the knees. Jesus understood what it was like when people aren't trustworthy. In his own life, he had two people at the end of his life that weren't trustworthy. One was a sinister man, Judas, who had been a thief. Judas was someone Jesus had invested in heavily over three years. And we know from scripture that Judas was the treasurer. No offense to the treasurer of our church or former treasurers, but Judas was stealing out of the coffers, right? He was taking that. And then ultimately, remember how he betrayed Jesus in Luke chapter 22 and verse 47. I want you just to listen to this. While he was speaking, behold, a crowd came, and the one called Judas, one of the twelve, was preceding them, and he approached Jesus to kiss him. Can you imagine what it would be like to be so invested in someone's life over three years to have them betray you with one of the most intimate expressions that they could possibly betray you with a kiss, personal space, a greeting in that culture, a sign of affection and respect. He did it with this expression of love. You know how much that had to hurt. But on the other hand, you have Simon Peter, who was like what we talked about before. He was a well-intentioned person on the night when Jesus was going through the Lord's supper. Who's going to betray you? Who's going to do all these things? And even if they all fall away, I won't do it, Lord. I'm in. I'm all the way in. And, you know, he wasn't. Ultimately, with his very best, he ended up failing the Lord. Because what? He was frail and weak just like we are. I always remind us that if you trust in people, you're always going to be disappointed. If you accept that people... Do well and do poorly, but you place your confidence in the Lord, then you won't be disappointed, right? You can't trust in people. Maybe the next thing that we might be tempted to trust in would be riches, money, our ability to provide things for ourselves through the money that we earn or the opportunities that we create. Money certainly makes things easier in your life. It's good to have money if you need to go to the store and buy food tonight. It's good to have money if you have a medical bill that you're going to have to pay. Money certainly makes those things a lot easier. But we all know that money has a dark side to it as well. When money stops being a tool that you use and it becomes the thing that you trust in, you've entered into a dangerous rip current that will ultimately drag you out the sea and shipwreck your soul. Listen to what the writer of Proverbs says in Proverbs 11, verse 28. He who trusts in riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like the green leaf. If we become so wrapped up in our own financial situation that it takes the place of God in providing for our families or providing for our needs... What we have in front of us is a fall that is about ready to take place. You're going to fall. It's an outcome that will happen because the market of life is always course correcting. One of the things that we talk about when we do premarital counseling is we talk about getting a budget and finances and all those things are important because your life, anybody who's been married in here for more than a minute, knows that your life doesn't start here and go like this, right? It goes like this, right? I mean that it course corrects life is like that you don't see it coming and all of a sudden you're knocked down and you have to get back up and I think about that because as life course corrects we have to adjust to that and sometimes we have plenty and like the apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 4 I've learned how to be content with a lot or a little and ultimately I found that God supplies all this need all the needs that I have through his riches right You know, this is kind of one of those things that sneaks up on us, though. We all want to win the lottery. You don't play it, of course. You just think about it because you're Baptist. But you know, a recent article that I read uh, this past week talked about how the, the lottery might be the most deadly thing that ever happens in your life. For instance, Abraham Shakespeare won $30 million in 2012, was murdered by a woman who befriended him. Uruj Khan, fatally poisoned one day after collecting a $1 million lump sum. Or Jeffrey Dampierre, who collected $16.2 million, kidnapped by his sister-in-law and her boyfriend, and murdered. You see, money takes care of some of the things that you need, but it has a dark side to it as well. And it opens you up to a world of other possibilities. And if you're trusting in money to be your security, it's a little bit like trying to harness the wind, isn't it? And take control of it. You can't. You can use it for a while, but ultimately money goes somewhere else and to someone else. We all die and leave behind these things that we collect and that we, we ultimately know can't save our soul, but yet we find ourselves drifting that. If I just had that, if I could just... You can't place your trust in money. It can't make you happy. It can't give you peace. It will not secure your eternity. Another thing that we learn not to trust is ourselves. I was listening to a local Christian radio station the other day when the local radio host encouraged listeners not to seek advice or counsel from other people. He just said this, trust yourself, you know way more than you think you do. I almost wrecked my car. Is that the best that we, we have to offer, is trust yourself? You know more than you think you do? That left me a little bit empty. Trust yourself. The problem is, I know myself. Maybe you don't know yourself as well as the Scripture says you ought to. But the Scripture says that our hearts are wicked to the core. I have to trust in someone besides me. Plus, I'm pretty sure that goes against everything we've learned in the book of Proverbs about getting wise counsel in our lives. If you need some more proof, listen to Proverbs twenty-eight, twenty-six. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but he who walks wisely will be delivered. Only a fool trusts in his own heart, because Jeremiah said, The heart is more deceitful than all else, and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Are You gonna trust yourself? Or are you gonna trust the Lord? See, we have to trust in God. And here's some reasons we might want to trust in God above everything else that we've mentioned. Proverbs 3.5 has already told me not to trust my own understanding, but to trust the Lord. And we've seen that our hearts are deceptively wicked and evil and untrustworthy. But when we trust God, we're trusting in the one thing that never changes. The same God who is today was yesterday and will be forever, right? He never changes, and because he never changes, that means he's trustworthy. It means he won't flip the script or change the rules or pull the old switcheroo on you. He's going to be the same, so he's trustworthy. He's constant. He's faithful. Because God's character is perfect, he's also trustworthy. It means that he will not lie to you. What God says is good today will be good tomorrow. What God says is bad for you today will also be bad for you tomorrow, and you can trust him. When he says avoid something because it's bad, trust that it's bad. Our reason is limited by time and space, but God's reason is eternal. And that means that there's nothing new under the sun that comes along that causes him to step back and wonder I wonder what we should do about this. Because he's seen it all. When we come to a relationship with the Lord, trust is everything. He's uninterested in a divided heart. And it makes sense. It's no wonder you're not interested in a divided heart either, are you? I was thinking about it like this. You know, when we look to hire pastors, we're not looking to hire pastors who want to move to Nashville to make records. Right? Think about it like this. Let's say we wanted to hire a mission pastor. We're not looking for a mission pastor. But let's just say we wanted to hire a mission pastor. And we find a guy in Texas who says, I've always wanted to be a mission pastor, and I've been writing some songs. Nashville just seems like the place for me. And in his heart of hearts, he really believes that he's going to reinvent the line dancing revolution. It's coming back. No one wants him on staff. You don't want a guy coming to visit you in the hospital who's just been down at, you know, the two-stepping place or something, writing his next hit record. It's terrible. You want someone who's fully devoted to what the mission of the church is. You want someone who's fully devoted to you. No one dates somebody who says, Hey, if half of my heart's good for you, you got it, baby. It doesn't work. A divided heart will not work. God wants them to trust, God wants us to trust him like a child trusting one of their parents. Jesus said it like this: Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children. You will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. If you think about it for a moment, there isn't a 10-year-old alive who's worried about the stock market. They're not coming home and asking mom and dad, how's the retirement portfolio today? What they're asking is, mom, are you going to make me a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and some of those chocolate chip cookies? Because they trust that their parents are going to take care of of everything that's enough for them they don't need anything more so we all know it's really easy to trust God when you don't really have to trust God like when everything's great but what about when it's not what about when life is difficult and the answers that you're getting aren't pleasing to you Job went through this didn't he Job had a life that I think we would all say was a great life He had his health, he had enough resources to provide for his family, he had a big family, he was a happy guy, things were going great, and in an instant, those things were gone from him, they were taken away, because guess what, life self-corrects, it course-corrects, I mean, there's ups and downs, and God's in the up and the down, by the way, and I'm always marveling at what Job said, though he slay me, I will serve him he trusted. That's trusting God with all your heart. Job didn't lean on his own understanding. He didn't rationalize away everything that had happened. He trusted God. Was he happy about it? Not at all. Was it difficult? Certainly. But Job was trusting that God Almighty could provide for his life. And so Proverbs 3.5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart And then it talks about outlining a path. Verse six gives us this beautiful picture of a straight path. And if you grew up in a place that was surrounded by lakes and rivers and, you know, water, bodies of waters, or you grew up around the mountains, you know what it means to have a straight path. And the great benefit it is to have a straight path. When you have a straight path, it uh, makes uh, travel a lot easier. Shaves time off the travel, gives you a direct route to follow, and the key to getting a direct path is to acknowledge God in every aspect of your life. So this means your marriage or your singleness, your work or your play, your children or your grandchildren or not having children, whatever you do comes under the control of the law of God. When you acknowledge God, it's saying that you know God, to know him in these places, to literally know God in all of your ways. Can you find him in your ways? I mean, do you see him at work? Or is work a place that is separated from what you do with God at church? Can you see him in your family? Or is that something separated out? You you do things differently over here, and it's kind of a situational ethics thing. That's not what he's talking about. He says, acknowledge God in all of your ways. It means to know God in everything that you do. He's waiting to be there, but you could be missing him, right? The terminology that we're using for this season of our lives as a church Really has the idea around it of being guided along a path, doesn't it? We're talking about a church family guiding people to take their next step in following Christ. Having a map's not just enough. You need a guide, and Jesus is the guide, right? We need a guide to lead us in the path of righteousness. We need help in understanding our next steps to let the path be straight and laid out before us. So when we know God in every step and we acknowledge his presence in our lives at every turn and in every situation, what we're saying is that he has authority over our next steps. And when we do that, we can fully commit our lives to him and trust him. And when you do, you find him faithful. Look at verse 7. It says, Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Solomon reminds us what we think about ourselves, we better be careful, right, to not be wise in our own eyes, but to fear the Lord in everything. And then he says, turn away from evil. The word there means to turn aside from it, right? So it's a picture for us to see that as we're walking and we walk into a situation that has the potential for evil, we turn aside and redirect. You go somewhere else. That path doesn't walk through that evil. You go away from it. You you don't walk towards it. It's changing. And so it's moving away from it. And as we talked about this morning, the Holy Spirit begins to guide our lives into truth. And as we yield our lives to the Holy Spirit and give him more control of our lives, it's easier to turn away and turn aside from evil, right? You understand it clearly. You begin to move away from it. And there's a promise that comes with it. It will be healing to your Original word there, navel. Your belly button. It's funny, isn't it? Your body. And refreshment to your bones. There's healing and nourishment when you walk with the Lord. Healing from what? Well, from the old way of life, for sure. Right? Healing in our body. A sin-sick body that can be healed through the love of Christ His blood shed for us. And when we live in wisdom, you get to live in such a way, right? That your body is healed. And then refreshment to your bones. That's quite the contrary from the other description we have sometimes of talking about our bones. When David talks about our sin and he says it was like rottenness in my bones. Healing. Wisdom brings healing. Why? Because if you've ever done something that was, I mean kind of one of those moments where you later thought, what was I thinking? You know how miserable that feels? And then you know what it's like to have your body refreshed and healed. Wisdom keeps you from rottenness in your bones. It provides the healing that we need when we trust the Lord and refreshes our lives. Later on in chapter 30 of Proverbs, the writer uses an illustration of of a furry little animal called a shephanim. They're found around the Dead Sea. And he points out that these animals understand where they need to make their home it's in the rock. They're defenseless little creatures and left to their own devices, have no way to protect themselves. And when we trust in the Lord and we follow his path, we're placing our lives in the rock of our salvation, right? It's the resting place. We understand that these little furry animals have found a place to hide out that is immovable and secure, and we have something that is immovable and secure in the right person that is God, Jesus Christ. We hide ourselves in the protection of the rock, and that's where we need to run every day. Listen to the psalmist, Psalm 91 in verse 2, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress my God in whom I trust. The picture there is great for us, right? A refuge, when you think about a refuge, like a sanctuary, a place that no harm can befall an animal if it's a sanctuary, a place for an animal that's a protected species, so to speak. A fortress. I'd always think of the fortress and they draw up the bridge and you get in just in time before the invaders are coming to get you and the bridge, drawbridge goes up and they Put you in the protection of the fortress, and that's what God is. God is a refuge and fortress when we trust in him. So it begins to ask the question for you tonight, where is your trust? Is it in the person who will fail you? Is it in money or your ability to create money or create and provide for your family? Are you trusting God to do that? Is it in yourself? Or are you so puffed up with pride tonight that you would say, I've got it all figured out? Or are you trusting in the Lord? You find your refuge in God and you make your stand there. Every faith journey involves a new direction. And many times God leads us to these things in our lives that don't make sense. You just stare at it and think, well, Lord, why would I want to do that? Why would I want to take this new job? Why would I want to move? I I don't want to do that. Why would I want to go on that mission trip, Lord? And God is saying this is part of your journey. Trust me. think a lot of times those moments seem like jumping out of an airplane, right? We feel the knot in our stomach, the heart starts to beat a little bit quicker, because we're wondering, did the person who packed the parachute do their job, or were they eating a candy bar and talking on their phone and texting while they packed the parachute? And the only way to know is to jump, right? When Kathy and I were about to be married, I had an opportunity that had come my way to teach school. Dad and I were talking about this this week. Um, we were looking at a book that a friend of mine had written, a professor that I had in seminary. And uh, I'd been teaching school for a year and a half at the North Raleigh Christian Academy. And I was part time. I taught half day during the day and then went to school the other half at seminary during the day. And I had signed a contract to come back the next year and teach full time be a boys' JV basketball coach, and uh, be uh, an an associate athletic director at the school. I felt like God was opening up the door. In fact, this man we were talking about, Dr. Ken Coley, I'd been taking a bunch of Christian school education classes in my uh, electives that I had at school and just really wondering if that was where God was leading. And it seemed like he was because opportunities just kept coming there. And as Kathy and I began... To pray about that, and we were thinking about getting married and kind of working through all of that, we really had a sense that all of a sudden God was changing directions in our lives and that wasn't where we were going to be. And I went into uh, my principal uh, one morning, a sweet man named Dr. Watkins, and I said, hey, I know I signed that contract like three weeks ago, but I'm not going to come back next year. I think that God wants me to go into the work of the church, not the Christian school. And he was great, understanding, man, excited for you about that and totally get it. It'll be fine. You know, don't worry about it. But it was a little more complicated uh, for me because uh, I was making this decision with a woman who was breaking up with me every Thursday. Okay? (laughs) We weren't married. We weren't even engaged at this point. And I told this man... That I didn't need this contract because I was hedging my bets on someone who was going to dump me every week. You know, it's one of those things. But we had decided that this was what God wanted us to do. And I don't know if you remember this or not, but we, you remember us working on that resume. We, we went to the Center for Ministry Training at the school, and they told us how to fill out a resume. And they assured us they would put this resume out all over the country. And that God would just be all over it. And you just send the resume in, and it will bless you. It will be wonderful. And we did that. And we turned it in nothing. Month one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, nine, twelve months. Not one call. There were a few of those days where I thought, gee whiz, Lord, thanks a lot. I'm about to graduate from this school and I don't have a job and I have a wife now to support. She ended up stopping dumping me. We got married. Uh, and uh, But we didn't know our next steps. And what seemed so obvious at the time as God was opening up opportunities, he clearly had shut it down. And for that year, there were none. And one day, a guy from Liberty University said, hey, I'm going to preach at this church and maybe you could come and fill in. I don't know what they're going to do. They've just lost their pastor. Could you just come up here and speak for a week? And that week turned into five years of my life at that church. And God was in it. And every step of the way, that faith journey felt exactly like trusting the Lord all over again. Because trust that you had yesterday doesn't help tonight or tomorrow it has to constantly be reaffirmed right yes lord today i'm going to trust you i have trusted you and you've been faithful and i know you can be faithful again so i'm going to trust you and i'm going to acknowledge you in all my ways even when it seems like you say to do something And we jump out of the plane, and the parachute just takes forever to open because you are faithful. I wonder tonight if you might be struggling with some area of trust in your life. Whatever it might be, would you renounce that you can't trust yourself, you can't trust others, you ultimately can't trust what your abilities can do to earn money or provide for your family? Would you trust the Lord tonight? And just reaffirm that by saying, Lord, I am trusting you not only with my salvation from the time you've saved me, but I'm going to trust you in the little things and the big things. I'm going to look for you at work tomorrow. I'm going to look for you in my relationships. I'm going to speak your name and acknowledge you in all of the things that I do, and I trust you. Let us pray and ask God to make that so in our lives tonight. Father, would you help us right now, to identify any area of our lives that we're not trusting you in. For some of us, there was something that came to mind immediately. For others of us, Lord, we're so wrapped up in trusting our own abilities, we don't even realize we're not trusting you. But we want to be fully dependent on you. Father, every faith test is a faith crisis. And we affirm tonight that you are trustworthy. Guide us into the paths of righteousness. Make the way straight and plain for us tonight, Lord. I pray that you would give us wisdom over those areas of our lives where we're struggling to know what to do. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.